Anyway, our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 46, verses 1 through 11, which can be found on page 883 in our Pew Bibles. And this is a psalm that for me is always um, always connected for me personally with 9-11, uh, the day that uh, all that happened, 2001. I was working at a church in Oklahoma, and that evening uh, we all got together and somebody stood up and just read this psalm. And there was a lot of other things that were read. There were a lot of other things that were said. There were a lot of other things that were prayed. But it was Psalm 46 that uh, I remember hearing that particular day. And uh, I'm sure I'd heard it before, but I heard it in a very different way that day. So I don't know what connection this might have for you um, and the themes it might touch on in your own life, but I hope you're able to hear it today. Uh, Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. However, we do pray that you would help us to hear it, to really hear it. I pray that you would help us to understand it, that we would come to know you better, that we would come to love and trust you more in everything, in everything, to love and trust you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 46, starting verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, which we referenced in the children's sermon. So kids, listen up. Here's the rest of the story. This is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side, and leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? 
Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's also a very good question. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Um, This morning, we are going to take a look at a word that is used a lot in the Bible, and it's also used a lot uh, in today's day and time. And unfortunately, the way it's used today and the way it's used in the Bible are often very different. And that is the word faith. And so we are going to be contrasting the way it's used today and the way it's used in the Bible and see what it looks like uh, to have biblical faith. Um, And we're going to do this picking up the story that we left off with last week where... um, Got to set the stage, because as I mentioned earlier, we got like a whole new crowd here, so here we go. <laughs> Paul, the Apostle Paul, has been trying to make his way to Rome, and on his, uh, on his way, he actually got held up in, in Jerusalem first, and then in Caesarea, but still there in Israel, and he's been in Caesarea for two years, just waiting for somebody to do something with him, either... Uh, convict him or release him, but nothing's been happening. And then after two years, finally somebody does something, and it's only when Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. So he's, okay, now you're going to go to Rome, but you're going to go as a prisoner, and you're going to go to stand trial there in Rome. So this is where he's headed, across the Mediterranean Sea. And on his way there, uh, this is what we looked at last week, that he, uh, there's no, there's no boat. They don't have a direct flight (laughs) from Caesarea to Rome. Um, it's like if you're going from Angelo, you're going through Dallas, even if Dallas is not where you're going. And this is uh, what was happening there. They get on a boat, and it ends up in Greece, and they catch another ship from there that's coming from Egypt to Rome, loaded down with grain. And it's late in the season, but they get on there anyway, and they're headed that way. But as they end up um, by Crete, this island in the middle of the Mediterranean, um, the winds have been against them. They're on the lee side of the island, which... We learned last week, <laughs> I learned more about it after church, it's fantastic, uh, is uh, the lee side is where the island is blocking the wind for you. So they've come on this side of the island, so that, and we'll see more of that today. So they go on that side of the island, and there they're able to make it to a harbor. And they're s- sitting there in this harbor, and Paul says, guys, we have reached the end. This is as far as we're going. <laughs> I can see that what's coming if we go any farther is not going to be good. And so what we looked at last week was how instead of, um, instead of believing Paul, instead of actually looking at the facts at hand, they had this wishful thinking going on. Remember this? That they uh, saw that there was another harbor just up the island, and they said, we would rather spend the winter there than here. So yeah, I think we can do it. So we're going we're gonna to set out. Well, what we're going to see today is them actually setting out on that voyage and how, how that goes. And this is where we get to see the difference between uh, the different kinds of faith. So here's where we are. Acts chapter 27. Starting in verse 13. Keeping in mind that Paul has already said we should not go. But they go because they want to. And so verse 13, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along 
the shore of Crete. There's going to be a lot of sailing stuff going on. You just got to put yourself on the boat with them. <laughs> we're along for the ride. They were uh, having these winds pushing from the north. They didn't want any winds from the north because uh, they're trying to crawl along the southern edge of this island to get to the next spot. There's not a lot of other islands past this. If they get blown out to sea, they end up in the middle, kind of open water, and that's, that's not where they want to be. Um, there's hundreds of miles between where they are and the northern coast of Africa. So the south wind starts to blow, and they're like, all right, this is going to work. We're just going to crawl up the island. And so uh, they saw their opportunity to weigh anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. All right, stop and talk about this along the way just so you know what's going on. Uh, They're having experience maybe you have had where you thought you could see a little bit into the future. You know those moments (laughs) when you think you might know what's coming and so you say, well, you know what? This is going to be good. We're going to do this thing. And you set out to do that thing and immediately you realize you can't predict the future and everything changes and it turns into a pretty bad day pretty fast. That's where they are. And so they're now being swept along by this. Uh, Verse 16, as we've passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, uh, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. This is the first opportunity they're having now to get sort of a breather from this storm. And it's even still like they can hardly get uh, the lifeboat secure. And this, by the way, is the last island to the south. If they continue getting blown this way, it is really bad news for them. We continue. Uh, We're hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, verse 17. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. This has gone from being a bad day to a really, really bad time. If you followed all that was said there, there were, uh, they have now done everything they can do. They are at the end of their rope. They have passed ropes under the ship to try to hold it together because they're getting beat up so much by this storm they're afraid the entire boat is going to break apart. That's not something you do if you're just like, you know, this wind's a bit more than I'd like. I mean, this is what you do when you really feel the ship is in danger. They start throwing the cargo overboard. Again, not something you're going to do if you think, you know, the waters are a little rougher than I like. No, this, the cargo they have, this is uh, their economic future. But there comes a point when you're in a life-threatening situation and you're like, you know, my money or my life, right? Which, which is it going to be? And so they start throwing the cargo overboard. They understand what Jesus said. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their very soul, right? <laughs> you can't take it with you. If you get all the money, but you die getting it, what's the point? And so no, we're going to throw it all over. They start sh- throwing the ship's tackle overboard. This is all the ship's equipment. Now they're not going to be able to sail anymore. But at least they'll be alive, right? But after this has been going on for many days and the storm is still continuing to beat them up, 
They haven't seen the sun. They haven't seen the stars. Why is this important? Navigation. They are far now from any land. So as far as you can see on the horizon, all the way around is water. And when you look up to the sky, no sun. When you look up to the sky at night, no stars. You have no idea where you are. And all you can see is water. And you have no way to sail your boat. And so at this point, even if the storm stops, they're all still as good as dead. This is the point where they give up all hope of being saved. This is the point where, (laughs) what else is there to do? I mean, at this point, you just, just wait to die. And they've completely given up hope. Um, this reminds me of other times in the biblical story where we have people in hopeless situations. Prominent one being on the ed- people on the edge of the Red Sea. You remember this? Where you have the Israelites being brought out of slavery in Egypt, and God leads them to the edge of the Red Sea. And now they have a sea in front of them and Egyptians chasing, closing in on them from behind, and there's nowhere they can go. All we're going to do is just wait here to die. That's it. Why would God have brought us here? <laughs> there's nothing for us to do and, uh, except die. And do you remember what Moses says? It's important. Moses answered the people. This is Exodus 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Thanks, Moses. <laughs> but I don't know if you're seeing the situation the same way we are. <laughs> he continues, though. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. In other words, what you see is a lot of reason to freak out, but that's because your eyes are on earthly things. If your eyes are on the Lord, you will see you don't need to be afraid. You just need to be still and know that he is God. That's what we read in Psalm 46. Be still, know that I am God. What we see in uh, the disciples in the boat with Jesus is them being afraid. They're freaking out again. They think that it all is lost. Don't you care if we drown? That's what's coming for us, Jesus. We're about to die. And he actually says to them uh, in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Well, because we think we're going to die. That's why we're so afraid. But why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? This is where we see this uh, come into play. Is this word faith is what we're going to talk about. And he is equating their fear with their lack of faith. That the reason that he says they are afraid is because they don't have faith. This is what's going to be important to know what faith is. But then, of course, their response to him uh, saying, quiet, be still, not just to them, but to the storm itself, and it being quiet, getting still, is not less fear. It's more fear. You see that? If it's in uh, verse 41 of Mark chapter 4. After he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it says, they were terrified <laughs> and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is uh, 
a few of the many examples we have in Scripture of people who are at the end of the road, people who are in hopeless situations. And of course, our usual reaction is fear. It's fight or flight. It's those instincts that we have. And when we react like that, which are good instincts, and there are plenty of situations that those are very helpful, but there are plenty of situations where those are unhelpful. And we get scared, and like animals, we do dumb things when we get scared. <laughs> and, um, and then we also have the problem of being hopeless. Let's go back to Acts 27, verse 21. This is where Paul gets up and actually addresses the situation. And again, we are where they're in the middle of the ocean, water as far as you can see, no sun, no stars, still raging, no hope of being saved. And Paul gets up and says what I kind of feel like is the least helpful thing you can say in a situation like this. Paul gets up and says, basically, I told you you shouldn't have done it. Here's how he puts it. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. Okay, stop right there. Come on, Paul. (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation like this where somebody has said, don't do this, and you're like, I'm not listening to you. I'm doing it anyway. And so you do it anyway, and it goes just as badly as they said. What is the last thing you want to hear from that person? (laughs) I told you you shouldn't have done it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But that's not particularly helpful. And right now, I'm in a bad way, and I'm needing help. And so it sounds terrible that Paul would say this, but he's not finished. It is an opening line, kind of an odd one uh, at that. But it is a reminder that he has known what's been going on from earlier. But he's not finished, and this is where it's important. Um, He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And that's actually where we're going to stop for today. We're not even going to get to what happens next. Because where we are today is looking at faith when you don't have what's coming next yet. All you have is the promise from God. And that is the difference between faith biblically and the faith that we have kind of culturally today. Kind of what uh, I like to think of as Disney faith. And uh, kind of the (laughs) when you wish upon a star, you can have a brand new car or something like that. I don't think that's how the song goes, but it's that idea this is the faith that the sailors had, the faith that uh, where they look at, I don't want to be here. I do want to be there. It's the wishful thinking kind of faith. And the way that it tends to be talked about in our culture today is you decide what it is that you want. I want to get to that harbor. That's where I want to spend the winter. And then if you just believe hard enough, right? Have you heard this? If you just believe hard enough that it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. That is not what the Bible says. You don't get to pick what it is and then just believe hard enough and it happens. You don't even get to pick what it is and then pray that God will make it happen and then if you just pray hard enough that that's going to happen. 
That's not biblical faith either. So what in the world is it? Because <laughs> that's more what we're used to in the way that people talk about it today. But it is what we see from Paul. It's what Paul says there at the, the very end of that section we just read, uh, where he says, Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. That it will happen just as he told me. In other words, everything, this is the living by faith and not by sight, because everything they can see with their eyes says we are doomed. We are going down in the middle of an ocean. And Paul says, I know that's what it looks like, but God says something different. Now, which are you going to believe? And to take God at his word when everything looks different than that, that's faith. And to live in a, believing that he is saying what is true, no matter what else you're looking at, that is faith. This is what we see when you have uh, the people standing on the edge of the Red Sea. And it is what it looks like is bad news. But God says, trust me. Trust me, this is not the end of the story. And when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. This is what we see, um, oh my goodness, all the way through. When God speaks, things happen, right? So from the very beginning, this is how we're introduced to God. When God says, let there be light, there's light. (laughs) And on and on and on. When he speaks, things happen. This is one of the ways that we can recognize who Jesus is. This is one of the reasons why the disciples are terrified at the end of the story we just read, because it's the same thing with Jesus. When he speaks, things happen. The disciples being in the boat with Jesus that day didn't need to be afraid, not because there there weren't storms. There were storms. They didn't need to be afraid because Jesus is there. They've already seen that Jesus can speak and heal a guy's withered hand that he can speak and give movement and life again to a paralyzed body, that he can speak and cast out a demon from somebody, that when Jesus speaks, it happens. This is what we have seen from God all the way through. This is why the disciples are afraid when Jesus speaks to the storm. And it happens as he says. And they are terrified because now they realize they're in a boat with somebody who's not just a normal guy. But we have this issue of of faith now, of do we believe this word that God speaks? We're told that his word that goes out does not return to him void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which he sends it. That it does what it's going to do. But the question we always have is, do we believe him? We said last week that what we need is a word from outside of ourselves, outside of our time, outside of our culture, but one that speaks to our time, speaks to our culture, speaks to ourselves. And that is what we have. But do we believe it or not? Um, In the case of Abraham, even before you get to the edge of the Red Sea, God says, you're going to have more kids than there are stars in the sky. And Abraham is an old man. He and his wife 
are old. It says their bodies are as good as dead. And yet when God says it, Abraham says, well, if that's what you say is going to happen, then that's what's going to happen. There you go. That's faith. You have Mary years later, the mother of Jesus. An angel shows up and says to her, you're going to have a son. He'll be the son of the most high, though you've been with no man. And Mary says, well, I don't know how. But if you say that's what's going to happen, then that's what's going to happen. There you go. That's faith. It is taking God at his word, believing that he is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, and then living like that is true, regardless of what else uh, our other senses may tell us. This is what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, which is kind of known as the chapter dealing with faith. And throughout that chapter, it just goes through all these people of the Old Testament and says, look at the ways that they lived like they actually believed God was who he said he was and he was going to do what he said he was going to do. No matter what everybody else was doing, this is what they were doing. That's what it looks like to live by faith. And then, of course, we look at that last line in uh, Acts 26 where Paul says, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And I want us to hear this because sometimes it, it's easy to think, oh, so if we just have enough faith, then the people do get to cross the Red Sea and Abraham does get to have a large family and we, we do, the, the people in the boat don't go down with the ship. And so we think, ah, now I get it. All you have to do is believe that nothing bad will ever happen to you and nothing bad will ever happen to you. But that's not it either. And so he tells them, they're, going to, they're still going to run aground on some island, but they're not going to die in the storm. And if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, there are a lot of people who see a lot of miraculous uh, things and escapes and, uh, from life-threatening situations. But if you get to the end of that chapter, there's also a list of people who live by faith and were killed in horrible ways. And you go, well, then, wait a second. I thought if you live by faith, nothing bad would happen. And that is not what it means to live by faith. What it means to live by faith is to trust God that his word is true. He is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And so we hold to the promises that he has made. And we do believe that death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. That we do believe that the worst thing that can happen to us is to be separated from God forever. And this is why Paul, we looked at this in Philippians last summer, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's what we see in Hebrews 11. We have people who die in horrible ways, and yet they were those who were living by faith, that this is actually even a gain for them. Not that death is a good thing, but that we are promised a life beyond the grave. We see Jesus says in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, just right after you get there, says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the one who showed us what true faith looks like. 
the one who still trusts God and takes him at his word through all of it. And he goes to the cross. And so we can't say if you just... (laughs) Two things again. One, you can't just pick out what you want to happen and say, if I just believe hard enough, then God will make that happen. That is not in our Bibles. But two, um, you can't say, well, if I do have biblical faith, then that means that nothing bad will ever happen to me. We don't see that as the case either. But we do see... uh, the promises that God has made. Things like Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. We do see things uh, Jesus said where he says, I will never leave you, never forsake you, I will never abandon you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word we have. When we go back to Jesus and we look at him and we say, why is it that Jesus was born? The answer the New Testament gives us over and over again is because of the love God has for us. When we look at the cross and we say, why did Jesus go to the cross? It wasn't because of the Romans. It wasn't because of the Jewish leaders. It was because of his love for us. He says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down willingly. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. Again and again, why did Jesus go to the cross? Because of love. The message that we have from Genesis to Revelation is that God has created us out of love, and that he has redeemed us out of love, that he has love for us. That means for you. This is the word we've been given. And there are a lot of situations in our life where we are like the people on the boat where all we see is water all around. There's no sun, no stars. And we go, I don't know. I'm not seeing the evidence right now. But what we have is the word that says, trust me. (laughs) Don't trust your senses. Trust me. I do love you. In a minute, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, where we get to use our senses (laughs) to combat our senses, where we get to taste and see that the Lord is good, where we get to experience his love for us in a tangible way. Even if we are currently living through experiences where he seems to be absent. We have the word. We have the word of his love for us. And the question we have, if we are going to live by faith, is do we believe him? I would submit he's got a pretty good track record (laughs) at being believable, at being trustworthy. Better than any other source in the world. So, the question for us today, for each of us, is do you have faith? And by that I mean, do you believe that Jesus is the way, 
a truth and a life for you? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe that he is making you a new creation? Do you believe that he is going to continue the work that he has begun in you until it is completed? Do you believe that he will bring you uh, through all of the hard things of this life and even the end of this life into a new life with him forever? Do you believe? If so, it's all the faith you need. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.